my friend, Phil Corson. He is the senior pastor and the founder of Abundant Grace Community Church in Gainesville, Florida. He planted that church, I believe, about 12 years ago in October. It is a thriving church. They are doing a great job in the city of Gainesville, Florida. Phil has a unique ability to bring very practical wisdom, but it's fueled by incredible theology. Phil is a reader, and sometimes Phil will read, I don't know, one or two books a week. He's always got a book that he's reading. It challenges me. He has theological depth, but he's, he has tremendous practical wisdom. So I'm so excited this morning in the second of our four-part series for Phil to be the one to talk to you about loving the church because to love the church, we want to be fueled by good doctrine and theology, but we also want that to then bear fruit in very practical ways. So dear church, my friends, please welcome my very dear friend, Phil Corson from Abundant Grace Community Church. Thank you so much. So good to be here. Greetings and welcome from Gainesville, home of the 2009 National Champions. Yeah, they turned me off. That's good. That's good. I like that. Did I happen to mention that the University of Florida is the only university ever to hold the national championship in both basketball and football? Did you guys know that? I figured you would. <clears throat> I'm sure Al constantly reminds you. And uh, I will say this, though. You guys weren't as bad. Hun- they weren't as bad as the folks in New Orleans. Yeah, they turned me off. The guys in New Orleans, that, uh, I was in New Orleans uh, about seven weeks ago. A young lady in our church got married, and uh, the, our sister church in New Orleans uh, had me speak on that Sunday, and I kind of did the same thing, welcomed home of the national champions. Well, that's just LSU City right there, which is a big rival. And so they booed me off the stage. I mean, it was great. It was wonderful. So you guys are much kinder, and uh, I appreciate that. I'm getting ready to duck here. I'm glad Al's got something that protects but uh, it was a lot of fun. And so at the end of the service at, in uh, New Orleans, they, uh, when I got done praying and saying, you're dismissed or Keith dismissed, they immediately turned on the LSU fight song. And, uh, you know, so it was hold that tiger and it was, it was pretty funny. So, uh, but it is a joy to be with you this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, whenever uh, Al just would say, hey, why don't you come down and and uh, just to be with us in Miami, and I, I just count it a joy and a privilege to be here uh, so much. Uh, we're so excited. Uh, just great things I heard about yesterday from my wife. Ladies, thank you for making my wife feel uh, just wonderfully blessed and special. Desi, thank you for your hospitality with her. Ladies, did you enjoy yesterday? It was wonderful. Yes. It was great. Uh, my daughter took a bunch of pictures, so I was able to see all the different things, uh, the, just the setup of the signs, all the, the desserts were just like unbelievable, and uh, so just incredible um, desserts there and all that took place, and, and I know my wife uh, just poured over 
that message and wanted to serve you ladies so well, so I hope and trust that everything went well. I did want to introduce my wife for the men that weren't there yesterday, and you shouldn't have been there yesterday, and uh, <clears throat> it being a ladies' meeting. But this is my wife, Kay. Hey, why don't you stand? We've been married for 27 years. Yeah. That is a very big deal to be married to me for 27 years. I always tell her, I said, honey, your crown in heaven is going to be so big because you have put up with so much. And then I, we have two of our five children with us. Uh, first, yeah, who did that? Yeah. Two of our five children with us. Uh, the first is uh, Tyler. Uh, he is 18 right here. And, uh, yep. Just go ahead and stand there. Tyler, you don't have Yeah. And Tyler is a, will be a senior this year for his high school basketball team. Uh, we were uh, here, while we were in this area, we were looking at some schools that we're looking at for him. So he, we visited Barry University and then also Nova Southeastern yesterday. So we'll see what happens there. You can pray for him. And then the jewel of the Corson household uh, is Kayla, the only girl. And uh, right here, Kayla, won't you stand? Her birthday was yesterday. Yeah. She's 14 years old. She has been wonderful. And it has just been a joy to uh, have a daughter after four sons. And to have a daughter, uh, it is, that was a gift from God right there. Let me tell you why. But uh, so we love all of our kids and the other two boys had to stay back in Gainesville. Um, one was working, and the other one starts football tomorrow. And uh, so he was not able to get away since we're not going to get back until Wednesday. But thank you so much just for being here today. I'm excited about this series that Al had sent to us uh, that we're speaking and saw that Al spoke last week. Corey, next week, you got Danny coming in a couple weeks uh, and to speak about the church and and bro, let me just encourage you today. Thank you for serving us in worship. I know you normally don't do this on a regular basis, but thank you. That last song was absolutely wonderful about the church and how we're to love the church. And Jesus gave us all for it, and so should we. And that's really what we want to talk about today because really the, the church is under assault, believe it or not. But unfortunately, it's not only under assault by our secular culture, it's under assault by the people that are Christians as well. And so that is why we have got to have a robust theology of what the church means to me and you. And so the title of my message today is, is really, how much do we love the church? How much do we love the church? And you think, well, gosh, that's a, that's a funny question to ask. But it is something I think that I continually need to ask myself, even as a pastor, Constantly and be reminded of, of what the church means for us as a people of God. People that have been set apart by God for a specific purpose. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 8. And it says this, To me, or the Apostle Paul who's writing this letter, 
Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. So this is what Paul is preaching to the Gentiles. That's you and me. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. This is what he's preaching to us. The unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So the mystery that Paul is referring to here is in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, There, the word mystery is used about four times. The mystery is that Christ has come to save both Jew and Gentile, no longer having two distinct people, but now having one distinct person in Christ, one bride. It's no longer Cuban, American, Nicaraguan, Colombian. It is one in Christ Jesus. And that is the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the plan that that Paul has now been privileged to preach. He's privileged to preach to the Gentiles that you now have the same access as the Jews did. And so therefore you can come boldly into the throne room of God. You are a child of God. He is your father just as much as he was their father. And so this is, this is something that has been hidden through the ages. The Old Testament prophets knew about it, foretold of it, but not to the extent of the outgo of it, of understanding that the Jews were actually, or the Gentiles were actually going to be a part as the peop- of the people of God. And he says this, So uh, bring to light everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, and that's important there, Paul doesn't say through the nation of Israel. But he says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was also according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for your word. Your word, which is true. Your word which is living and active in our souls. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, as we open up the word today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate passages, this passage to us. Give us eyes to see and understand, Lord, what you would have for us. Holy Spirit, come and tutor us into the word of God. Bring conviction where necessary, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Growing up in the church myself, as raised as a child, my mom kept us in church. There have been a number of things that I have seen now as a pastor for well over 25 years, things that as I have looked back on my own life experiences and really just evaluating what has taken place in the church, say, over the last 30 years, 35 years. Can you give me my phone so I can use it as a timer? I need it. Oh, oh, no, you know what? I've got a clock right here. Okay, I'm good. Just want to make sure I end by one. 
So I'm no, just kidding, guys. Okay. Everybody's like, what? Al didn't tell us that part. So there are just some things as I begin to reflect on my experience in growing up in a church. This is, a, I think, a little bit of a flavor from my own experience of what I have seen over the last 30-something years of what has happened and how the church... Because, you see, you've got a lot of people rethinking the church. And so as I began to think about how people were rethinking about the church, I began to look at those last 35 years. And and so this is what you came up with. In the 1970s, really it started with there was a doctrinal deficiency that began to emerge in the church. And out of that doctrinal deficiency, you then at that moment began to have the rise of parachurch ministries. And nothing wrong with parachurch ministries. So if you work for parachurch ministry or you're a part of or been a part of or saved through one, we thank God for them. But I'm just trying to show a steady progression of what has happened. And so you had the 1970s was the rise of the parachurch ministries organization. In some ways, the local church at that point began to you know, uh, not be a priority as much. And so then in the 1980s, you had what was called the market-driven church. So now we come from the 1970s where doctrinal deficiencies started to set in, the parachurch ministry's birth. Then you had churches that were market-driven. So in other words, it was, you had the mindset of dress for success. You know, so you had... You know, the red tie was a power tie and the pastors, you had this whole thing, they're gauging everything based on market driven of, of what would people come in, let's, let's provide this for them, you know, kind of like a buffet, when you go to a buffet, it's like, we want this little thing for this group of people and we want this little thing for this group of people and it was just a hodgepodge to make sure that everybody's needs were met because you were market driven, what was the market what was the market saying? And we wanted to provide for the market. Then in the 1990s, you had the seeker-sensitive church. So we go from the market-driven church, getting away from that now, to what is unchurched Harry and Mary about? Let's go around and talk to those who don't go to church, and let's find out what their needs are and what they think about church, and then let's start a church that is born that way because the church, again, is failing to reach unchurched Harry and Mary. And so then in the 2000s, you now have what is called the emergent church. The emergent church that's popped up all over the place. And, and let me encourage you, I think Al has this book here. It's a book by Kevin DeYoung and Ted Cluck. It's called Why We Love the Church in Praise of Institution and Organized Religion. It is an outstanding resource if you have thought about the church, if you have maybe experienced some of these type of churches I've talked about, this book here, these guys are, are defending what has taken place and being written in the church today because people are giving up on the church, they say. That's what they want you to believe. That people are giving up on organized religion, where I, I would disagree with that. And so this book is an outstanding resource I want you to get. But you can see this emergent church, or what this group of people are called revolutionaries. We're revolutionaries. We're, we're breaking away from organized religion. And we're, you, we can now, instead of go to church on Sundays, we can go to Starbucks. And we can sit down at Starbucks and we can engage in conversation 
with unchurched, this unchurched guy and share the gospel with him and that be our church. We don't need the church. The church has failed. And so what you had in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on, basically some essentials, some core values from Scripture began to be lost. The first thing that began to lost, a core value that began to be lost through the process, was the authority of Scripture. Scripture was no longer a priority. Scripture was now just something that maybe they're not really commands. They're kind of like suggestions. So it's not the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Suggestions. And what Jesus says really doesn't matter. It, it's just He's just kind of like He's a great guy, great prophet, just like Gandhi is. And so he is espousing wisdom, and so you lose that. So you lose the authority of Scripture, the core value of the cross, the necessity of the cross is also lost in this thing. The cross is no longer, it's no longer about Jesus' death on the cross. Now it's, it's more about what you feel and your emotions on things, and, and maybe you got some good works in there, maybe not. So the value and the necessity of the cross was minimized. And then the other core value that was lost through the process was the priority of the local church. So therefore, there, this idea of, of church and church life together was over these last 30 years has been pushed to the side. And so in the process, what everybody was doing is they were looking at church and they were rethinking thoughts about the church. And so my thing and what I challenged Abundant Grace on was, you know, guys, we need to rethink our rethinking about the church. Because we don't need to rethink about the church. The, the church was not our idea. The church wasn't man-made. The church wasn't something that we just came up with. And, and it's like, you know, hey, you know, why don't we just get together, Jew and Gentile, and let's just, let's just break bread and have fellowship. No, the church was God's idea. The church is his bride, not my bride. It wasn't just saying, let's just kind of tie this thing in. No. People, when you begin to rethink about the church, most of the time, look, I understand that the church has weaknesses. I think we can all deny that. There is no perfect church. How many of you know Palm Vista's got weaknesses? Yeah. Abundant Grace has got lots of weaknesses. Abundant Grace has got a lot of wrinkles. Just come to Abundant Grace. Hang around. People come on Sunday mornings and people visit. Oh, I love the church. It's great. I say, thank you so much. And yeah, man, I can see this. I can be here and blah, blah, blah. And they go through the whole thing. And I said, well, hey, just get to know us. Hang around for three months. Get to know us. You maybe not be as excited as you are now. Because, look, every, every, every bride is beautiful on their wedding day. Uh-oh. Okay, let me say this behind here. Uh, uh, and, and most brides are beautiful every day, okay? Yeah. It's the grooms that we've got to worry about, okay? But, you know, the wedding is blissful, and then all of a sudden you get married to the person, okay? You know, see, I always tell the church at Abundant Grass, I say, look, when I was a very mature godly single man and then i got married 
And that mature, godly, single man that was a married man became an immature, ungodly man. <laughs> and that's the beauty of the relationship because what is it that you're seeing? God working on me and my wife this whole thing of, of us and our relationship that at times there's going to be conflict, at times there's going to be, um, you know, disagreements. We're going to walk through life. There's joys, there's excitements, there's thrills. There's, there's so many. The, the positives far outweigh the negatives. And it's the same way with the local church. The bride of Christ. This is why Paul's talking in Ephesians 5. When he's talking about the bride and husbands and wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And then at the end of verse 5, he says, hey, I'm talking about Christ in the church. This is a mystery here. And so we see that God's passion, the Apostle Paul's passion, the New Testament passion is a passion for the local church. So the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, is, Do we love the local church? Do we love the church? Because we live in a society today that is being raised in a churchless Christianity. A churchless Christianity. And that's my concern. That's my concern because I I see something in the process of people rethinking the church because of its weaknesses and its deficiencies that all of a sudden now we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We're just forgetting all of it. When we've got to see what God's Word says about His church. And then that is what we want to live life like. This is why we want to come on Sunday mornings and have exuberant, joyful worship to sing songs that are about the cross and about God and who He is. And then being joined together as a people to a body of local believers that we can have fellowship with and build and grow together because we see what is taking place in the church's life in which we live. You see, we, this church, this manifold wisdom of God that is being revealed through the church is basically you and me. It's the diversity of Christ bringing all the nations together in one body. And God getting glory out of this. Look in your notes at the quote by John Stott. He says this. If the church is central to God's purpose, as seen in both history and the gospel, it must surely be central to our lives How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference or to the outside what God has placed at the center? No, we shall seek to become responsible church members, active in some local manifestation of the universal church. That is, that is what Palm Vista is. That is what Abundant Grace is. It is a local manifestation of the universal church of God. 
And God calls us not only to be a part of his universal church, but he also calls us to be a part of the local church as well. You see, because the church is central to God's plan. Stott says, why and how can we push to the circumference? How can we push to the outside what God has placed to the center? And you probably talked to a lot of people today and they said, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That's what we're doing. We're pushing church to the outside because all church is, if you were to ask people, some people what church is, they'll probably tell you it's just for older people. There's not much excitement. There's not, there's not much life. It's just something that you just go through and something that you do. It, it's, just, it's not really the lifeblood of how and why we live. It's not what we were singing about today, that Jesus gave his all for her, so we need to give it our all. You see, because every person here, you're only going to really glean and get out of the local church what you put in the local church. You know, so many times I know that you're starting care groups coming up. And I I, I tell folks all the time that in care group ministry, that if you just want to go to care group and sit and not interact, it's probably not going to be very enjoyable. But if you want to go to care group and get involved and share insights of what God has shown you through the message that was given on Sunday, and you want to look for ways and opportunities to serve, Oh, you're going to feel much different. The care group's going to have a different feel for it all the way around. And that's the same thing on Sunday morning. If you want to come on Sundays and just be here on Sundays, then the church probably isn't going to mean a lot to you. But if you want to throw yourself into the local church and look for opportunities and ways that you can serve, whether it's through music, whether it's through sound setup, whether it's through doing whatever it is, that needs to take place on Sunday, and you want to give your life for it all, and to say, you know what, Christ died for the church, I can give my life, my all for the church as well. You're going to gain and receive much more from it than just someone that just comes and, on Sundays and then that's all they do. So that the, pri- the, the priority of the church to where we become, as Stott said, responsible church members where we have this healthy relationship with others in the church, this, this relationship with God, seeing His church as a priority and as a purpose because the church is central to God's plan. So William Hendrickson says this, The church, therefore, does not exist for itself. It exists for God, for His glory. This is why Palm Vista exists. It is for the glory of God. It is for the purpose of reaching a people and a group of people that are lost. It is there primarily to come on Sunday morning and to lift up and exalt God and who He is. And if we can do that, then we have, we have met the priority of why the church exists. It doesn't exist for itself. It doesn't exist for us. It exists for God, for His purpose, for His agenda. And so when we get saved, we've got to find out what's God's purpose and God's agenda so that we can get involved with it. 
so that we can see it as a priority, so that we can see its purpose of why we exist as a church. And so we're going to talk about three things of of why the church exists. The first thing being worship. The second thing is nurture. And the third thing is mission. Ed Clowney says the church is called to serve God in three ways. To serve Him directly in worship, to serve the saints in nurture, and to serve the world in witness. This is what we want to do. Now, I'm aware of your the byline for Palm Vista where it's worship Him, image Him, and proclaim Him. Those three things, I think, fit perfect with these three points today and we're going to see how that all ties in and i love the that central purpose of why palm vista exists to worship him to image him or reflect him and to proclaim him that is what we're seeing today as i was preparing this i did not know that that was the byline of this church so when i sent out my notes he said hey this is the things of what is our byline for us these these core values for us as a church as expressed in our byline. I said, that's outstanding. I wanted to commend that to you on the vision of your pastors to let you see this is what they have in mind. These three things are a priority. These three things, it wasn't like Al and Corey got together and said, hey, what can we come up with a really catchy byline for the church here? Ah, let's see. No, no, no. Your pastors have a vision for you. Your passion has a, your pastors have a vision for the local church that they see that the pri, the three primary emphasis of the church is what Palm Vista is all about. And the first one of worship him, of worship is the priority. So we worship God in many different ways. We worship God through The singing of songs on Sunday morning. You worship God through giving. When you, those ushers come down forward, this isn't just like a, a, well, this is how we, the church raises money. No, 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 no. This giving is an act of worship. When you give, you are worshiping at that moment just as much as you're worshiping as you're singing songs to God. When you give on Sunday mornings, you know what's taking place? There's a death taking place. There's a death to greed. There's a death to materialism. There's a death that's going on inside of you. There is a worship experience saying, God, it's all yours anyway. I'm just giving back a portion of whatever is all yours. So God, it's all yours. Here, I give it back joyfully. And in the midst of that worship, you're dying. You're dying to all of the things of what our society says that you need to have to survive. And then you also worship the Lord as the Word of God is being opened up. As the Word of God is being opened up and taught, and you're there to receive the Word, you're worshiping God at that moment as well. Then, after the service is over, you're worshiping God when you tear down and when you set up. You're worshiping God when you interact and have fellowship with one another. 
You see, worship is not just Sunday mornings or when I get a a song that we sing. Worship is all of life. It comes in many different forms and facets, but it's who we are. We were created for worship. We are worshipful beings. We're either going to worship God or we're going to worship something else. But we are going to worship. Our society worships so many different things. They worship money. They worship uh, They worship. Material things, cars, houses, whatever, to, to think somehow that that brings value to their life. So worship we see is here, it is a priority for us, and it is the, the primary function of the church, is worship. J. Uh, Rodman Williams says this, the primary function of the church is the worship of God, to declare His worth and to offer Him praise. This is what we want to do. We want to declare the worth of God. Because we don't want in any way to allow our worship to be given to another, but given to the one who died for us and who was raised for us. Wayne Grudem says this, Worship in the church is not merely a preparation for something else. It is in itself fulfilling the major purpose of the church with reference to its Lord. That's the primary thing of what we are to do, is to worship God, worship Him daily, every day, not just on Sunday mornings, but when you come together on Sunday mornings, that worship experience should be something that is refreshing and and powerful. Why? Because you are exalting God. You're lifting up the name of Jesus, and when you do that, God, when you come in with that primary emphasis to lift God up, the secondary emphasis of what takes place is God blesses you. You're refreshed. You see all the things that God has done. The second thing that we see on the church is this, is that is nurture. Nurture is a word that summarizes the purpose for our relationships and activities in Side the church. We are to build each other up, the Bible says, until we reach maturity. We're given to each other. The nurture aspect is the image aspect of what is in your byline. To reflect Christ. To see relationships based on God's agenda, not your agenda. Last week at Abundant Grace, I spoke on the gospel and relationships. And it talks about, and I talked about two types of people that exist, or two extremes, I should say, that exist when it comes to relationships. You have the isolationist, and then you have the immersionist. The isolationist says, I don't have, I don't need relationships. I don't need anybody. I'm okay it's me and God, we're fine, and I really don't like relationships because relationships at times can hurt. I've been hurt in the past by relationships, so I really don't want to open up with relationships because of all of these things. So you have the isolationist, who is the extreme on this side. Then you have the immersionist, that who has to have relationships to feel like they're somebody. They throw everything into the relationship, and Normally, what happens as Christians is we slide on that scale back and forth. Going from the isolationist to the immersionist, going 
we, we may not be as bad as the extremes, but we're, we're somewhere along the lines. Because what happens with the isolationists and the immersionists as well is many times is, is we come into relationships and what can be a hindrance to it is that we come in rela- in, into the relationship with expectations. Look, you're in my care group. I helped you move the furniture from that house to this house. Now, I'm moving, and I'm expecting everybody to show up that was there that day to, I was there to help you move, now you, can you help me move? There, there's, that's a wrong reason to serve. You see, relationships, what happens many times, we come in relationships with our agenda. But what we've got to ask ourselves is, what is God's agenda for our relationships? Why does God want you to have a relationship with the person and the people that you're relating to here at Palm Vista? It's not for your agenda. It's for His agenda. Find out what God's agenda is when it comes in relationships. Go through the Bible and see how many, all of the one another's that exist. There's like 20 or 30 one another's that exist there. That is where you find... God's relationship and God's plan, God's agenda, and then let that be your agenda. But when you come into a relationship with an agenda or an expectation, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. Because you had an expectation coming in. When we see, we've got to see relationships based on our relationship with Christ. And what He's done for us. And how the gospel comes to bear on our relationships with one another. To where you may build a relationship with somebody who is totally different from you. And that's only the gospel can do that. You have no affinity with with this anybody or any person. You would think, there's no way. I mean, I've had relationships in the past of dear friends of ours who came with us on the church plant. When I started the church 12 years ago, and this guy was a, a dear friend to me, and, it's, and is still a dear friend, even though he's part of the church in Greenville now. But we had nothing in common. I mean, I love sports. I love basketball. I love to play basketball. He enjoyed ballet and movies and, th- and, 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 and things like that. I mean, he danced on Broadway. Great. So what? You know, but you know... <laughs> Did you play in the Super Bowl? That's what I want to know, okay? It's these type things. But, I mean, we were two opposite ends of the spectrum, okay? I I don't, I won't wear tights. I don't do those things. I'm not going to wear any foo-foo things or anything like that, okay? I'm just not that way. And so, and, and here he was, and he was wonderful I'm, I'm sure he was a great dancer and and so i always constantly was showing him my moves when i would dance you know and and you know just you know we're doing all that you know i mean whatever it took you know i mean i had to show him I, you know i don't need to you know you know i don't need to do that i just just gotta move baby you know just gotta, gotta. and so but the wonderful thing about it was is that the gospel brings those two type of people together. 
for a common purpose. And we have a vision to worship God. We had a vision for the local church together. This guy had a vision for the local church. I've got a vision for the local church. I've got a vision for God's agenda, not my agenda. And so what we can do is I can look at him and say, Brother, I'm glad you like that. That may not draw me to you. And what I do may not draw you to me. But we have a common purpose and a common vision that is God's agenda. And we're going to go out and you and I, we can interact, we can fellowship. He was a dear friend to me. Dear friend to me. And only the gospel can do things like that. And so when you look at all of these different aspects of what's coming through in life together, when we build and nurture and image Christ and reflect Christ, we're going to affect others. We're going to affect a lost and dying world. When they see the love that we have for one another, when they see the way, the reality of our relationships, that it's not just some pseudo-fake idea idea of what relationships is but it is a relationship that is based on jesus christ it is a relationship that is not dealt with and based on affinities oh we're we're all motorcycle guys and we like motorcycles or or oh we're all um fans and uf fans and fsu fans or what other type fans that we have it's not about that it's about coming together For God's agenda, seeing God's church as a priority, seeing God's church as the bride, and saying, what can I do to be a part of God's wonderful plan and God's wonderful purpose in this earth? And how can I be a part of that? How can I help my brother grow in his relationship with God? How can I serve my brother to grow in his relationship or her relationship with God? What can I do? How can I be God's instrument at that moment when somebody's heartbroken and hurt? How can I be God's instrument at that moment to breathe life into a dead situation? That is nurturing. That is imaging God. That is reflecting Christ. As you do that as a church, and you have done that so well. I'm so grateful for Al and Corey and how they teach you guys. Because the values that Al and Corey have, we have as a church as well. And I see and hear at different times when we talk about whether we're on senior pastor's retreat and we hear about all of the things that are happening here. I thank God for the way that you guys worship, for the way that you guys image, for the way that you proclaim the mission that God has. You see, because the church is not an organization or a structure, but the church is people. It is you and me. People that have been specifically chosen by God and that are being built together. This is why... The Apostle Paul says, hey, look, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This manifold wisdom of God here, what it means is that there is a multifaceted wisdom that God is using. In other words, it's like a diamond that is being looked at. You don't look at the diamond as the same. You turn the diamond and it reflects so many different colors and, and shades and different things. You see the beauty of it each time you turn it. That is the church of Jesus Christ. God says, look, I am in Christ going to reconcile both Jew and Gentile and I'm going to bring them together in one in Christ Jesus. And as I bring that together, all of heaven is going to see The wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God in each and every individual that comes from every tribe, every people, every tongue, as they're joined together in Christ. 
God is displaying his manifold wisdom. Because who else? Who else can bring people from those type of backgrounds? Those type of nations? What else is going to bring them together other than Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because before, the Bible says that we were hated and we hated one another. We had the dividing wall of hostility. It talks about in Ephesians 2, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. That has been broken down in Jesus Christ. And God is building His church from every tribe, every tongue, every people. And while we are here, we are to worship Him as a church, as one people. Not as many different peoples. But as one people, we're to worship Him. And as we worship Him, then we're to nurture each other. We're to care for each other. We're to image Him. We're to reflect Him with each other. And then finally, we are to proclaim Him our our mission that we have as a church. You see, we have a we have a mission as a church, but it's not just to the church. It's not just to build up the church and to nurture the church and to encourage each other. We have another mission as well that and that mission is to the world. It's to the lost. It's to those who are your neighbors. It's to those who you work with. It's to those who God may just bring in your path. And this is so much where I I think we as a church, Abundant Grace, can learn so much from you guys here. You know, I, I so appreciate the outreach, the way you guys, and to hear that you guys are going through the Proclaim course uh, through, via care group, let me encourage you, if you have not gone through that, go through it. Get yourself equipped so that you can not only nurture and reflect the image of Christ and build your brother and sisters up, but that you can be used by God. You don't have to, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a pastor. All you've got to be able to do is just tell your story. Tell your story how you were once blind but now you see. I think the greatest line on evangelism I've ever read was Charles Spurgeon. He said this, Evangelism is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's all it is. That's all evangelism is. We don't got to work it up and make it like, you know, well, let me, I got to get all this Romans road right. What's the Romans road? Okay, is it, is it, does it start with 3-3 three, three or 3-10 three, and then 323 and where this Romans road? I'm confused on the road to Rome. Just share your story. Talk about what your life was like before Christ, how you came to know Christ, and what your life has been like since you've known Christ. That's simple. All you are is a beggar telling other beggars where to find bread. That's evangelism. That is reaching out to the world because Jesus is building his church. And the amazing thing about Jesus building his church is he has given the privilege of co-laboring with him to you and me. We get to co-labor with Jesus to build his church. What a joy and privilege it is to do that. We see that all we are is just instruments to water and to plant. But God gives the increase. We are here. This great work 
is called the Great Commission. Because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to reflect these things. Wayne Grudem says in your notes, all three purposes of the church are commanded by the Lord in Scripture. They're not suggested. They're commanded. Therefore, all three are important and none can be neglected. We should be aware of any attempts to reduce the purpose of the church to only one of these three. And to say that it should be our primary focus. All three purposes must be emphasized continually in a healthy church. And that's what we try to build. As churches, as pastors. Oh, this church, Palm Vista, we are a worshiping church. Or, oh man, abundant grace. Man, they know how to care for people. They know how to nurture. Oh, uh, Metro Life in Orlando. Oh man, that is an evangelizing church. Man, they, are, they evangelize on and on and on and on. No. We've got to have all three of these. This is why Palm Vista worships Him, image Him, and proclaim Him. It's not just one of the three. It's all three to be a healthy church. That's what you and I are to do. And as I close today, I just wanted to just quickly look at what is our responsibility as church members? There's a, there's a book uh, that was written uh, that is called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church Member. I guess it, maybe, may, maybe it's the marks of a healthy church member since there's ten of them I have in my notes. So it couldn't be nine marks. I know that there's a nine marks of a healthy church written by Mark Dever. And this is a gentleman who's written it named Thabiti, and I cannot say his last name and don't even want to try But he says this, he says, the health of the local church depends on the willingness of its members to inspect their hearts, correct their thinking, and apply their hands to the work of ministry. That is so true. You see, before I was a pastor, I was a church member. I haven't always been a church, I haven't always been a pastor. I've been the guys that have set up and tear down. I, I've been the guys that have been behind the scenes doing a lot of administrative work. I've been there because the, the church has always been a passion for me. The church has always been an emphasis in my life. I've always, at times, I've served other men in ministries. I've not always been a senior pastor. I've always served in other men's ministries throughout my 25 years of being in ministry. I've served other men. And tried to be faithful in that because I knew that if I cannot be faithful in one man's ministry, how can I be faithful in my own? Or if I'm, if, if I'm faithful in one man's ministry, certainly God will give me faithful men that I can disciple. But you throw yourself into the church. You throw yourself into what God's doing. But it's not, you don't, you don't throw yourself into the church thinking that one day you're going to become a pastor. You throw yourself into the church because it's his bride. It's what he's done. And so Thabiti goes through and he gives these marks of a healthy church member. And he says he is an expositional listener. In other words, as scripture has been unfolded, he listens that way. Another 
healthy mark is that he's a biblical theologian. Let me encourage you to read, to study God's Word. And if you do not have the ESV study Bible, let me encourage you to get it. It is the best study Bible out there. It opens up scriptures for you uh, in so many different ways. Just the illustrations in the Bible alone will help you become a better studier of God's Word. The third mark is that you have to be gospel is, uh, of a healthy church member is that you're gospel-saturated. In other words, the gospel is a priority to you. You are preaching the gospel to yourself. Everything that you do in life is viewed through the lens of the gospel. The fourth thing is that you're genuinely converted. It's wonderful to ask people to see, does your life reflect that? Ask your workmates. Do they see Christ at various times? I, different times, I'm constantly aware of appreciative of my children. I try to go to my children and say, is there anything that you see in me that would be distinct from what I preach on Sundays? And they say yes. No, I'm kidding. They don't. But these are the things that that they come in to where I try to reflect, show that I'm genuinely, genuinely converted. I want to reflect to make sure that they don't see something different in dad on Sundays that they do Monday through Saturday at home when he's not in the pulpit so that they can see that they're genuinely converted. Ask others. Constantly evaluate your salvation and look at it and say, not in a fearful way that, oh my God, I'm going to hell. I don't know if I'm saved. No, 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 not that. That's not what I'm talking about. Making sure that your relationship with God is genuine and passionate about the Savior. The fifth mark is that he's a biblical evangelist. This is another mark of a healthy church member, that you're a biblical evangelist, you're evangelizing. Number six, that you are a committed member. Don't just be on the periphery. Don't be on the outside. Jump in. Become a member of a church. Let people get to know you so that you can grow. Number seven, you seek discipline. You seek input from others about your life. Number eight, you are a growing disciple. You, th- you see yourself growing in your relationship with God. Number nine, you are a humble follower, not only of Christ himself, but also of the leaders and the elders in the church of Palm Vista. And then number ten, that you're a prayer warrior. Cannot emphasize prayer enough. Prayer is critical for this church. I want to encourage you, and I know you do, pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. They need your covering. They need your prayers. Pray for their families. Pray for their children. Pray for them. Pray that the enemy would not gain a foothold in their life, that they would walk in humility and insight before God. Pray that they would not be tempted but that God would protect them and oversee their souls. You see, when we look at this, and we look at this idea of the church of Jesus Christ, we say, well, you know, Phil, I I hear what you're saying. I see these three things. So what is the point? How can we drive this home to us practically every day? John Stott says this. He says, if, like Paul, we keep before us the vision of God's new society as his family his dwelling place, and his instrument in the world, 
then we shall constantly be seeking to make our church's worship more authentic, its fellowship more caring, and its outreach more compassionate. In other words, like Paul again, we shall be ready to pray, ready to work, and if necessary, to suffer in order to turn the vision into reality. You see, that's what we want to do and what we're trying to accomplish every Sunday morning we get together. Worship is only going to be as authentic as we as a people are authentic. Fellowship is only going to be more caring in the church as we are more caring in the church. And outreach is only going to be more compassionate as only we are more compassionate. But what we want to do is we've got this, you've got this vision as a worship him, image him, proclaim him. That's a vision that, that we have as Palm Vista. Now, how can we take that vision and make it a reality? Let's do that. Let's make that our goal. Let's make, take these three things in our life and not just make them something that we talk about, but something that we experience on a daily and weekly basis when we join together. And if I can have the band come forward, these things here, when we look at what's the point, we are to love the church because Christ loves the church. We are to give to the church because Christ has given to the church. We are to serve the church because Christ serves the church. We are to be committed to the church because Christ is committed to the church. We are not to put the church away from the center of our lives. We are not to push that away. We are to keep it ever before us. To keep the local church ever before us. Charles Spurgeon says that the church is the dearest place on earth. The question that we have for all of us today, for all of us today is this. Is it for you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, who is providing and bringing forth the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus is perfecting His church, His bride, whom He loves dearly. Because of His love for the church, Lord, let us love the church. Let us see the value that Christ has placed in it so that we can value it just as much. So Lord, we thank You and we praise You In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and let's worship the Lord.